Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I'm Jordan Jones. We're here today to preview Purdue's trip to College Park as they take on Maryland in an interdivision matchup. We will start off today with some final thoughts from that win over Minnesota before diving into a deep preview of Saturday's game. I will answer some of your questions, thanks to those who sent them in on Twitter, and we will get to those before we close by talking about the Big Ten's big news this week that came out of Madison on Sunday night. Lots to do today, more than we normally have on these midweek preview episodes. I'm excited for it, so let's get into it. Real quick, if you don't, be sure to follow the show on Twitter, at Boilers Beyond. Another away game this weekend, so that means we'll be tweeting throughout, uh, having some conversations with you all. One of my favorite parts of that Twitter account is the interaction on game day. And then if you don't already, subscribe wherever you get podcasts, wherever you get them. We're available, Apple, Google, Spotify. If there's somewhere we're not that you want us to be, just let me know and I will do what I can. A few final thoughts from Purdue's 20-10 to win last weekend over Minnesota. If you didn't listen to the uh, more instant reaction style podcast from Sunday, be sure to check that out. I had about 25 minutes of thoughts from that game. Look, I had tweeted it right after the game and failed to mention it on the podcast on Sunday. Beating P.J. Fleck had to feel so good for Jeff Brom. You know, they're going to be compared as long as they're at their current jobs. And that same comparison, to a lesser extent, applies to Tom Allen at Indiana. Those guys were all hired in the same cycle there after the 2016 season. But with P.J. Fleck, him and Brom are very different in their approaches. P.J. Fleck is incredibly bombastic. He is all about row the boat. He is all about his slogans. Uh, It certainly has been called fake by many people. I'm not here to judge that, but he's a showman. And Jeff Brom is very understated. He's very reserved. So they're very different stylistically. And Brom hadn't gotten the best of him in a while. PJ Fleck had won four in a row against Brom. So I think for this that game, for Jeff Brom to go up there against a good Minnesota team and take care of business, boy, that had to feel really, really good. And, you know, you look at it, that's one that Minnesota fans could hold over Purdue. And really, they're one of the two programs in the Big Ten West that has something to say about Purdue. The other one, eh, there's one more monkey Purdue needs to get off its back. We'll talk about that one later, but it looks a little bit doable. So a really nice win for Jeff Brom there that had to be satisfying. He'll never say it, but he had to really be satisfied by that. You know, I've rewatched the game. Man, Purdue just needs more explosive plays. I, I I don't leave that game feeling good about the offense at all. And rewatching it a second time, it's clear as day. Aiden O'Connell was not 100%. The throws just didn't look normal. Uh, They didn't have that velocity. They weren't crisp. 
he clearly wasn't 100%. Now, he was still clearly Purdue's best option. Don't get me wrong. But getting him healthier is going to be big, especially throwing the ball downfield. But Purdue's got to find more playmakers. And at this point, it might be a moot point. It just might not be possible. But, you know, Charlie Jones had that long reception. We've seen Devin Mockaby emerge as a bit of a playmaker. But as a whole, Purdue's receivers just don't make big plays. I will add, Minnesota's defensive scheme was designed to prevent that. You know, they played that deep cover two where they wanted Purdue to have to beat them short all day long. Purdue wasn't always great at sitting there and taking it. They got aggressive sometimes. That's human nature a little bit. But, you know, outside of that game at Indiana State, this just hasn't been a big play offense. And you have to wonder how sustainable putting together nine and ten play drives are when you've really had a knack for untimely penalties and you don't have the most consistent run game. I thought Minnesota made just an incredible amount of mistakes that you can't win games with in the Big Ten West. Much has been made about how the Big Ten West is not a very strong division at the top, but it's deep. Games are physical. Games are tough. And Minnesota made way too many mistakes. Purdue did a nice job of making Tanner Morgan beat them. And Tanner Morgan showed that he can't beat you by himself. He can't do it without a run game. So Purdue's game plan deserves some serious credit there. But of course, it does flip back as well to Minnesota not having a great performance, especially on offense. I thought another part of that, though, was Purdue's defensive line depth. Mark Hagan has a very deep group of guys on defense, and kind of the narrative has been they don't have that pass rusher. You know, that George Karloftis who can go get guys. Even back 2019 when Derek Barnes was a really good pass rusher for Purdue with seven and a half sacks, Purdue doesn't have that kind of guy on this year's team. Now, Kydron Jenkins did a nice job getting to Tanner Morgan on Saturday. But as a whole, this isn't a group that has tremendous pass rushing ability. But what we did see is that depth really do a nice job because Minnesota wanted to wear down Purdue to ultimately get those run, you know, those inside runs to start going somewhere in the second half. And because of Purdue's depth, they never wore down. They were able to stop Minnesota in the backfield quite a bit. I think it was seven tackles for loss, no explosive runs. That defensive line depth was really good. And we saw a lot of guys get out there. I mean, Cole Brevard had a few nice plays. Uh, Prince Boyd was out there. Uh, we talked a little bit about Corday Sidnor. Nick Carraway was out there for some snaps. Mo Amonaday. Uh, Suleiman Kapaka. I mean, a lot of guys getting out there and doing a nice job. You know, finally, Purdue has a knack for taking down ranked teams. You know, that's number six under Jeff Brom wins over AP top 25 teams. Look, I don't know if the nickname Spoiler Makers is a good thing or not. It, it certainly means that you're a pretty big underdog quite a bit. 
But hey, at least you're winning the games. It it beats the alternative of not winning big games. But one part of that, Purdue is one and four in the games immediately following Jeff Brom's first five ranked wins. They've been mostly games with close spreads one way or another. That's what Purdue has on Saturday as they head to Maryland at noon Eastern. Big Ten Network for the television there. Maryland is sitting right around three and a half point favorites. That might be four right now. I'm not positive. It's Tuesday night. So if there's line movement, please forgive me. It's got a big total, though. My goodness, what a big total opened at 68 and a half. So uh, they're expecting a high-scoring game out in College Park. Fourth meeting all-time before the between the Terrapins and Boilermakers. Maryland leads 2-1, to one, all of which have come in recent memory. These teams had never met prior to the 2006 Champs Sports Bowl, and then a couple of blowouts since Maryland joined the Big Ten. Uh, back in 2016, Daryl Hazel took his team out there and lost 50-7. to seven. In 2019, Purdue wore the space uniforms at home as Jack Plummer tore up the Turtles in a 40-14 Purdue victory. So, not a great track record of close games. Uh, that Champ Sports Bowl was a terrible game for Purdue as well. But Maryland enters playing pretty good football right now. They're 4-1 overall, 1-1 in the Big Ten, and this is the second straight week that Purdue gets their opponent fresh off of a win against Michigan State. Maryland took care of the Spartans pretty handily last weekend, so they're riding high. Uh, They beat Michigan two weeks ago, or excuse me, they lost to Michigan two weeks ago. They, They covered the spread, played them well, Lost by seven up in Ann Arbor, uh, but they did lose that game. A little bit about the Terrapins. You know, they're they're an improving program. Uh, it's baby steps, but they're getting better. Mike Loxley doesn't have an easy job here. You know, when you're in the Big Ten East, it's not easy. Uh, I think it's also a little bit difficult being in the Big Ten when... It's just, you know, those schools aren't your natural recruiting bases. The Eastern Seaboard was a little bit easier for them when they were in the ACC. But nonetheless, you know, Mike Loxley got an extension after last year. They went to their bowl game. Uh, They were 6-6, went up to the Pinstripe Bowl, I believe. And they tore through a pretty bad Virginia Tech team. But they tore through them. And this is a program that, like Purdue... They want to have a big offense, and like Purdue, they have an experienced quarterback that is the trigger man for it. That would be Taulia Tagovailoa. Yes, the younger brother of Tua. Taulia is throwing for 283 yards per game, and he's completing three quarters of his passes. A nice start to the year for him. He did have a couple of interceptions against Michigan, but boy, past that, he's been pretty sharp. Certainly is a threat to run, uh, a little bit more so than his brother, but he got banged up a little bit against Michigan. Uh, He returned to the game, but he missed a series or two, and you have to wonder, is he going to be a little more careful moving forward because of that? 
You know, the, it's a similar situation where Maryland really can't afford to lose Tagovailoa, just as Purdue, as we saw, cannot afford to lose Aiden O'Connell. The difference with this Maryland team, though, is that the rushing game has been pretty successful for them. And that's been an area they've really struggled at since they joined the Big Ten. Uh, Physicality has not been their identity. But they have a strong offensive line, and they have a really strong pair of running backs in Roman Hemby and Antoine Antoine Littleton. Uh, Those guys are going to split carries for the most part. They are, again, you know, those two are combining for over 120 yards per game. They've scored eight times between the two. It's a good rushing attack. You know, you got a quicker back, you got a more power back. Everything comes out of the shotgun. It is as true spread as you can get, uh, especially for Big Ten standards. But that rushing game has allowed Tagovailoa to be a little bit more open and a little bit more uh, selective in what he can do in the past game, you know, they don't have to lean on him as heavily and they have some very talented receivers to utilize in the past game. Rakeem Jarrett is the name that for those of you that are really into recruiting, he was a massive get for Maryland. He, he's now a junior, uh, his third year in the program. He leads them in receptions. Uh, he is, he is fantastic. He is someone who you know, projects as an NFL guy. Jayshon Jones, he's a fifth-year senior in that program. Super reliable. And you add in Jacob Copeland, who was a two-year starter at Florida and decided to jump ship once Dan Mullen got fired. Boy, that makes for a pretty good three-man receiver unit. Uh, That's a really good group. You have some speed, especially in Rakeem Jarrett, a little bit of size on the outside. That causes some worry. Uh, Ron English is going to be worried about those guys, especially when you add in a productive tight end, Corey Deitches. Boy, they got some passing options there. Now, it is worth noting, you know, Tagovailoa has at times been a little bit turnover prone. You know, he had a couple against Michigan. There was the infamous game against Iowa last year where I think he threw five interceptions. Uh, he's not, it's not an every week type of deal, but he can be turnover prone at times and Purdue would love for that to hit on Saturday. On the other side of the ball, Maryland's defense has been a little bit better than I expected on the surface. When you start to get into it, they're okay. SMU only scored 27 points in that game. Maryland won 34, 27 but the Ponies put up 520 yards of offense. Michigan absolutely ran all over them. And, you know, they had a J.J. McCarthy completed 18 of his 26 passes. But, boy, there were probably four or five deep balls that were overthrown in that game that were there. Uh, that They were there. So, you know, again, this isn't a tremendously physical program from a reputation standpoint. And they've been vulnerable against the run. So you have to wonder if that's part of it. And certainly they've been vulnerable against the pass. They're not a great turnover forcing defense. You know, when you look at this matchup, there's a reason the totals in the upper 60s. 
Purdue, if Aiden O'Connell's healthy, should be able to move the ball pretty well on these guys. But you look at the flip side, if there's a weakness of Purdue's defense, it's that pass defense, and it gets to be those big plays when corners get isolated and get beat. This is a Maryland team that can certainly do that to you. So that totals in the upper 60s for a good reason. This one could be a shootout. They've got a really good kicker. He's already made three from 50-plus. So, you know, once they cross that 40-yard line, they feel good about sending their kicker out there. And their, their returners do have some big play potential. We haven't seen it a ton. You know, they haven't snapped off. A real big one yet, but I certainly worry uh, about that. So Chris Van Ekren will be asked to get the ball through the end zone every single time. In terms of the weekly injury report, some positive news is that it sounds like Jalen Graham could be back this week. Someone had asked about that for the Q&A. So here it is. Jalen Graham got the optimistic label from Jeff Brom on Monday. That's always a big one. On the flip side, King Doru got the doubtful label. So it's looking like it's going to be Downing and Maccabee in the backfield again on Saturday. They've had a couple of good games in a row. See if they can't make it three. But Jalen Graham coming back could be a really big deal here for Purdue. He is a nice, versatile piece against an offense that will want to spread Yad a little bit. He's better at playing in space than... Any linebacker on Purdue's defense, and really he can hold his own in pass coverage a little bit. He's someone you'd really like to put up against that tight end of theirs. So could be really good there. We didn't see Kyron Douglas get a whole lot of snaps at Minnesota. It sounds like he's banged up a bit. I expect to see more Jacob Wahlberg. Of course, why wouldn't you? Uh, he was fantastic. couple games in a row, he's been really good. We'll see how much Douglas gets on the field. Aiden O'Connell, good to go. Should practice more this week. Still got no ETA on T. Denson, the Kansas State transfer at corner. Uh, that's a bit of a bummer. I, you have to wonder if we're going to see him at all this year. Daniel Johnson, right tackle, dinged up a little bit in that game against Minnesota. You know, we saw a lot of different offensive line groupings in that game something we've seen in most every game for Purdue. So that's nothing new. I suspect that will be the case again this week. Playing a little bit of mix and match. Uh, you'll you'll see the same starting group uh, if, if Johnson can give it a go. But you'll see Sione Finau and you'll see Mahamne Musa coming in and getting some reps as well. And then on that offensive line, I was sorry to hear Tom Deanhart's report that offensive lineman Cam Craig is stepping away from football due to some chronic back injuries. Uh, never fun. That's always sad to hear. Uh, it's certainly not the first time this has happened to Purdue in recent memory. Uh, there have been a few of these, so not a great trend, but you're sorry to hear that for Cam Craig, uh, that his playing days are done for Purdue. That's the injury report. Hopping into the three keys for this one. You know, number one, Purdue's got to start stronger. I know they scored on that first drive against Minnesota, but you can't be going to the fourth quarter with 10 points. 
You know, Purdue had 10 first-half points against Penn State, 9 in the first half against Syracuse, 14 against FAU, 10 first-half points against Minnesota, and I think they went to the fourth quarter with 9 against Syracuse and 10 against Minnesota. That's not going to cut it. That has to improve. You can't rely on your defense that much because if they give up a big play or two and 14 points are on the board for the other team, you figure another score here or there, you have to score and stay in these games. I know the defense has been pretty good so far, but they're not the 85 Bears. They can't go win games for you. See, if you can't get an early lead in this game and put pressure on Talia Tagovailoa, we saw what happened last week when Purdue was able to put pressure on the opposing quarterback. And without a doubt, Tagovailoa is better than what Tanner Morgan was. But see what you can do. See if you can make him make mistakes that help you put that game away the way we saw it unfold last week. Number two, I want to see Purdue throw it deep. And of course, this is contingent on Aiden O'Connell being healthy and able to throw it deep. But, you know, as I brought up, they're vulnerable against the deep ball. Michigan has some good wide receivers. They have a good quarterback, but their wide receivers got open a lot and J.J. McCarthy missed them uh, on some, you know, one-on-one coverage where the receiver beat his guy and it was a big play incoming if that throw can get made. Look, I as I said, I worry about Purdue's receivers a little bit. Can they get open like that? You know, can a Mershon Rice do that? Uh, can a TJ Sheffield? Uh, you know, we saw a seam route last week to Paul Paferi. You know, all sorts of different stuff to get the ball moving downfield because I think this is a defense where you can hit chunk plays against and really change the momentum of the game. And then number three, that defensive line. Uh, Maryland's got a pretty good offensive line. They're good. They're not great. They're not elite, but they're a good group. Can Purdue kind of replicate that performance from last week where they clog up the run lanes, they get in the backfield, and they really limit what the quarterback can do in the run game as well? Tagovailoa is certainly a threat. And we saw we saw Garrett Schrader, we saw Nikosi Perry have some success in the quarterback keeper game, but maybe Purdue's learned something there. They didn't let Tanner Morgan do much on the ground. We'll see if Purdue maybe learned something and can really do a nice job of forcing Tagovailoa to be one-dimensional. That certainly helps. And of course, you know, if you can get to the backfield, if you can put some pressure on him, Sure, you know, he can hit you with big plays, but he's got that nucleolution in him a little bit where he can have a game where he just kind of blows up, but he's a good quarterback. This is a good quarterback matchup on Saturday. And as for my prediction, I'm going to go Maryland 31, Purdue 27. Look, I'm still a little worried about this Purdue offense. I really am just... Outside of Indiana State, they have not gotten off to good starts, and they haven't built separation in games at all. And this is one of those games where if you keep asking your defense to do so much, man, there's going to be one time where Rakeem Jarrett gets open over the top, or Jacob Copeland 
you know, breaks a tackle. Uh, you know, he goes out on an out route, breaks a tackle, and goes the distance. Uh, something like that. It's too easy to happen. Purdue hasn't seen a passing attack this great. Uh, and I don't know if great's the right word, but they haven't seen a passing attack like this. And if there's a weakness, man, they ask a lot from their defensive backs. Can they do it again this week? They were really good last week. Still gave up a few big plays. Let's see what they can do here. And that stat being one and four coming off of ranked wins, it certainly impacts my prediction. I think it helps Purdue that this game's on the road. So you're not coming home and hearing how great you are when you're out there warming up and the fans are going crazy. I think that helps. But, you know, at some point, Purdue has to show that it has some week-to-week consistency in beating good teams, and we just haven't seen that for the most part. So I'm going to go 31-27 to Maryland. I'm not off to the hottest start on these. I am, what, 3-2 and two in predicting the winner correctly. So I don't know if that's very good, but uh, we're going to keep doing it every week, and we'll see if I'm 3-3 three and three next week. I think most of you and myself, hope that I am. Hopping into the Q&A, thanks again to those who submitted these on Twitter. As always, tweet me at Boilers Beyond with your question for these midweek episodes where we open up the Q&A. First one we got in from Dan, you know, should King Doru be the RB3 when he gets healthy? And boy, you know, who would have thought we'd be saying that when it was announced that he was going to miss the Syracuse game. And now it sounds like he's going to miss his fourth straight game. I don't know if I'd go that far. I don't know if I see him coming back and only doing what Kobe Lewis has done recently. And that's get a carrier to a game. I think you got to get him more than that. He's your best pass blocking running back. So I think that alone necessitates him being on the field more. Now, I am all in favor of getting Dylan Downing and Devin Mockaby more reps, uh, especially Mockaby. You know, he's got some speed to him that these other guys don't have. But, you know, Doru is a better pass blocker. He's still a solid runner. He's not fast by any means, but he's played a lot of football, and that's valuable to have out there. So I don't think he should be RB3. But I don't think it should be like the first game against Penn State where Doru got 17 carries and Downing only got four. If I recall, that was the split. No, no, no. It needs to be more closer you know, to maybe a 50%, 25-25, or a third across the board. Uh, Purdue doesn't need to lean on him that heavily. Had one in. What has allowed Maryland to make the jump into relevancy this year? And how will Purdue try to contain the dual threat quarterback in Tagovailoa? Look, with Maryland, their schedule has certainly helped. And you know how I feel about scheduling wins. Maryland did it. They played Buffalo. They played Charlotte, who is god-awful. And they beat a pretty good SMU team. You know, a better team in the American, but... You know, still, those are three games that a Big Ten team should win, and it puts you in a good spot. Now, they took Michigan, they gave Michigan all they could handle, and they beat Michigan State. So they're 4-1, and one, 
you know, it's tough to break through in that East division. To some degree, you're playing for fourth place if you're Maryland, Michigan State, Indiana, or Rutgers. But at the same time, they've recruited well. There's more talent on this Maryland team than what we've seen in recent years. As I said, that receiver room has some real ability. That's always a nice separating factor. Tagovailoa is in his third year at Maryland now as the starter, so that really helps. You've got a good repertoire there, and the offense being spread out suits them. They've got a more developed offensive line. I think there's a lot to like there. Now, they're not a they're not a juggernaut by any means, but they have done a nice job of putting together a roster to compete in the Big Ten. And right now, it's got them four and one. As far as stopping Tagovailoa in the run game, as I brought up, you know, having Jalen Graham on the field, I think helps everything because he adds to some of that speed. Uh, Jacob Wahlberg has had a nose for the ball lately. He's done a really nice job of getting to spots before the guy. I think OC Brothers can do it as well. So, you know, I think just blowing up the line of scrimmage the way Purdue did last week helps, but also having linebackers who are quick on their feet, who are quick to get to spots. You know, I don't like to pick on Kieran Douglas or Samisi Fakasieki, but those guys aren't it. And I think maybe having a little bit more versatility there with Jalen Graham back can help Purdue stop the run game from Tagovailoa. Good one here. Kind of a two questions that fall into one. Purdue controls their destiny in the West. Who do you see taking the West if Purdue stumbles and that game at Illinois suddenly looks huge? A related question Does the win at Minnesota mean that Purdue is a contender in the West, or is this a flawed team that might win six games? Uh, Yes, that Illinois part, as we all expected, that trip to Champaign on November 12th, uh, that looks like it could be the most significant Purdue versus Illinois game that we've seen in years. As we sit here, it's way too early. It's week six. Purdue, Illinois, Iowa, and Northwestern all control their own destiny in the Big Ten West. They all have one loss, but it all came to a team from the East. So if any of those teams win out, uh, they have the tiebreaker over everybody and will go to Indianapolis. You know, just kind of going through the division, I'm never going to count Iowa out, but they're going to have to figure something out on offense, and it doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. I think last week was more of a one-off for Minnesota. I think they're better than what they showed. They might still be the best team in the West, but they've got to play Penn State. Uh, They've still got to play Iowa and Wisconsin. So, you know, seeing them get to three losses, certainly not out of the picture. Illinois looks really good, uh, at least based off expectations. Brett Bielema certainly building something there. Uh, As far as Nebraska and Wisconsin go, I don't know about with interim coaches. Now, Jim Leonard certainly uh, has a more capable group than what Mickey Joseph does. So we'll talk about Wisconsin more momentarily. Uh, Northwestern, no. Uh, they're, They're not a contender in the West. So if I had to pick a team, 
that would take the West right now. I would still probably look at Minnesota, but Purdue is absolutely a contender. Uh, to answer the second part, is Purdue a contender in the West? Absolutely. Is Purdue a flawed team that could end up with the 6-6 six and six record? Absolutely. Uh, both of these can be true. Uh, you know, football is can be a bounce of ball game. That's the difference between eight and four and six and six. Purdue's going to be underdogs at least two more times. They're underdogs against Maryland. I still think they will end up being underdogs at Wisconsin. Maybe I'm wrong, but boy, I don't know. I think they'll be dogs there. And are they going to be dogs at Illinois? They might be. I think they'll be favorites at home against Iowa, but yeah, I mean, if Purdue's underdogs three more times, that's certainly possible. It's also not unrealistic to think that Purdue could win the West. I mean, no one looks like a juggernaut. There's no team that you look at and say Purdue can't beat them, but outside of Northwestern and maybe Indiana left on the schedule, there's no one you look at and say, no way they beat Purdue. It's the Big Ten West. Weird things happen. But, yeah, I mean, Purdue is a contender, and they still, you know, you don't want to overreact to that Minnesota game too much. That wasn't Purdue's best performance. They still have to get better if they're going to win the West. And then, finally, the topic to close us off, we got a good question. What is Wisconsin doing? Be careful what you wish for. See what happened to Nebraska after firing a winner. In case you missed the news that hit Twitter on Sunday night, Wisconsin fired Paul Christ. And this was about as shocked about a coaching move as I've ever been. And I'll tell you, this is one of my favorite things to follow is the coaching carousel. I love it. It's fascinating. This was incredibly shocking. Uh, they negotiated the buyout down to $11 million from what we've learned now. And it certainly feels like it's set up to give Jim Leonard an audition for the job. He's the young defensive coordinator in his late 30s. He was going to be up for jobs after this season no matter what. He was probably going to be up for the Nebraska job. I would think uh, in terms of other open jobs, I don't know why... All the rest, maybe not Arizona State, but uh, people would call them, no doubt. And it feels like they fired Paul Christ now before he could turn this around, finish 8-4, and four, and make it really hard to fire him. Now they want to get Leonard in there for a bit of an audition to see if he's the guy long term. I think this firing brings up two questions. What are the expectations inside that Wisconsin program? And what can be considered reasonable expectations at Wisconsin? The, the Big Ten is going to look a lot different either next year or in two years. I think it sounds like it's going to be next year where divisions are no more. At that point, you get a tougher schedule guaranteed because, look, right now, the two best and probably three best programs in the Big Ten are all in the East. That makes it tougher. You're either you're at least playing one of them, if not two of them, every single year. Yes, 
The Big Ten West can be tough at times, but it you don't have that star power. Then you bring in USC and UCLA. USC is a bigger and better program than you. UCLA, not right now, but it has the potential to be. There's going to be money like no other in the Big Ten at that point. Everyone's going to have money. So uh, we're seeing it now. Uh, $11 million, no problem. It's clear that that buyout money means nothing for a lot of schools some these days. I mean, goodness, we saw two years ago, Auburn canned Malzahn during COVID, gave him $20 million. Uh, we saw Ed Orgeron, what did he get, $19 million or something? I mean, there there's a lot of money out there that schools are not afraid to spend. So what are those reasonable expectations, though? You know, Paul Christ won 72% of his games. He won the West three times in seven or eight years. He had a 13-1 and season in there where they were a six-point loss to Ohio State away from making the playoff. Good luck. Uh, it's going to be tough to get better than that. Now, I do agree with the idea that Wisconsin's fallen off a bit in the last few years. That 2018 team was supposed to be really good, that Purdue took to th- that went to three overtimes with Purdue and Purdue should have beaten, but uh, they've never rebounded really. 2019 was fine. They got smoked in Indy by Ohio State. 2020, not good. Last year, they didn't like what happened. So, look, the, the trend isn't great, but you're firing a coach with a 720 win percentage and rolling the dice here. Look, I'm not a aggressive fire coaches guy. I, I'm just not. That's not my philosophy. But we talked about it after Scott Frost let go. When we looked at Nebraska and they'd fired Frank Solich because they weren't happy with what he'd done. Then they fired Bo Pelini because he was kind of, kind of an asshole. But now it, Wisconsin's in this spot. You know, you fire a coach, it's at best a 50-50 proposition whether you get better or whether you get worse. And now, when you come from the position Wisconsin's in, at 72% of your games being won, at being the best program in the West, pretty much without an argument, that proposition isn't tilted in your favor. That's not 50-50 that it gets better. That's what, 2080, 30-70 at best? It's a heck of a roll of the dice. I don't like Wisconsin's, Wisconsin's chances here. I think Leonard's a good hire. There are connections to Lance Leipold at Kansas. So if you feel like you're going to get him, look, I respect the audacity. It's possible this works out great. But having legitimate expectations that are realistic, that are not 11-1, and 10-2 every year, that's not going to happen. But if you're okay with eight and four and nine and three on a regular kind of as your program, the way it is right now for the most part, then yeah, go right ahead and see if it happens. But there's no guarantee that that level of success is maintained. That's now five power five jobs open already. It's October 4th. There are more to come. Auburn's looks like it's going to open any day now. Louisville looks like it's going to open at some point, and there will, without a doubt, be many others. 
It's not your grandfather's college football anymore. These moves are made earlier and earlier. There's more money than ever around the sport, and it is becoming an incredibly dog-eat-dog world out there. Again, I love this stuff. Uh, the coaching carousel is fascinating to me. I love it, so I'll be following along with all of it, but I did want to touch on that since it was the big news out of the Big Ten. That's all I've got for you today. Thank you for spending your time with me. Next Sunday, this Sunday, we will be back here to recap all of the happenings from Saturday's game in College Park. Midweek, we'll move on to Nebraska. Follow the show on Twitter, at Boilers Beyond, and send me some of those questions. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss Sunday's episode. Until then, enjoy the game and take care, everybody.